Welcome to the Giants Huddle. Get him in the huddle. Get him in the huddle. Get him in the huddle. A New York Giants podcast. My name is John Schmoke, and welcome to the newest edition of the Giants Huddle podcast. Lance Meadow with us as well. Today's guest will be Sal Palantonio from ESPN. We talk to Sal about the New York football Giants, the NFC East, and we go around the league a little bit talking about the NFC playoff picture and some of the rule changes in the National Football League. Before we get to Sal, first I want to remind you that if you're listening to this podcast on Giants.com or the Giants mobile app, thank you for being with us. But it's a lot easier for you and it's better for us if you go to your favorite podcast platform, whether it's TuneIn or any of the other popular platforms, add us to your feed, make us part of your favorites list, and subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, make sure you leave a positive review and a high rating. Uh, the more listeners this podcast get, the more often we can do it, and the bigger and better it will get for you guys out there as well. So let's get to our guest, Sal Palantonio, who covers the NFL for ESPN. Sal, it's great to talk to you. you got John Schmelk and Lance Metal here in the Giants facility in East Rutherford. How's your summer going? Uh, pretty good. Uh, not bad at all. Decided to uh, take a little bit more time off this summer because last year I was blessed to write the Eagles championship book. And... Um, <laughs> You know, that's, uh, that's a lot of work, so I decided this was the summer where I would, you know, set that all aside. But since the, the time that Carson Wentz was drafted and Doug Peterson was hired, pretty much been on the go nonstop for three solid years. So this was, this was a little bit of a, of a nice break this summer, but, you know, it's going to be an exciting year, certainly in the NFC East, to so many big storylines just in the NFC East. There really is. Yes, yeah, Sal, no doubt about it. And let's start right there with the Giants. Uh, your overall take on their offseason, uh, we know about Daniel Jones in the draft, uh, Kevin Zeitler trade, the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, a lot of movement. Dave Gettleman continues to transform the roster. Uh, do you see what he's trying to do in the plan? What's your take on what Gettleman's path was this offseason for the Giants? Well, let's start with Odell Beckham Jr. I was uh, definitely all on board with the trade. Um, I thought it was definitely addition by subtraction for the team. Don't forget, he missed uh, half of the season, and each of the last two years wasn't available to the team. And um, I, I think uh, what they got in in exchange was a win, but that uh, it, it really would help the team on both offense and defense for sure. Uh you know, the Daniel Jones, I was there, as you know, for the drafting of Daniel Jones. And as you know, I've always been a great, great admirer of Eli Manning. People always ask me who's my favorite player to interview, and it's always Eli. Eli's number <laughs> one for me. Always accessible, always willing to take on the tough questions. Uh, a real mensch. And um, I, I think it's really an interesting time for the team regarding Eli Manning. I'm a, I'm a voter of the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection committee, one of the 46 voters, and Eli's got my vote. Eli's got my vote for his ballot. Hall of Fame. He won two Super Bowls uh, the way he did. Um, I've always thought he was extremely tough. But, you know, time expires on on different players. And uh, he needs to get pushed. And the quarterback position on the team needs to get pushed. And it'll be interesting to see whether Daniel Jones can push him. And uh, I've talked to Eli a couple of times this offseason on the record for ESPN, and it's pretty clear he he doesn't want to go anywhere. He wants to play uh, in 2020, uh, even even if it's not for the New York Giants. He's a competitive soul, even though he's quiet. So it's going to be a very interesting year, considering this is the first time in his year he's going into the last year 
of his contract. Well, and I think you bring up a very interesting point, Sal, because there's uncertainty beyond this year in terms of his contract. But taking that a step further, how do you see the timeline playing out? You know, based on your conversations with Eli, looking at the Giants roster of when they'll truly make the transition from the veteran quarterback to the young up-and-coming QB and Daniel Jones. It's such an, a, a difficult question to answer, right? Because it's a movable feast. In other words, it, it's a movable target. A, we don't know how Eli is going to respond. B, we don't know how Daniel Jones is going to play. Is there an inevitability about it? Absolutely there is because Eli is not under contract past this year. So they have to make the move at some point. But you just don't know how the team is going to respond and what their record is going to be and what kind of pressure there's going to be on the team and on the head coach and on Mr. Gellman. So I don't really have a definitive answer for you, but I, but I know this. Eli is not going quietly into the night. Yeah, and I don't think the Giants would have it any other way either, by the way. Um, just going back to the Beckham trade for a moment, what do you think this offense is going to look like without him, Sal? Because a lot of people, I don't happen to be one of them, wonder about how successful and productive it's going to be without him on the field. But to me, the trade yielded a Pro Bowl caliber guard in Kevin Zeitler. They brought in Golden Tate. Evan Ingram is coming off a final four games last year. We played really well. What do you think this offense is going to look like without number 13 out there? Well, you know, there's been a quiet revolution in NFL offenses led by Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady. Specifically, when you look at snap to release time, they have made it a point of emphasis in New England. They have led the way in making sure the ball gets out quickly. Tom Brady has led the league and snapped to release time at 2.53 seconds over the last two seasons. And it's interesting to note that the number two guy on that list is Nick Foles, who was the quarterback who beat Tom Brady in Super Bowl 52. And Drew Brees is number three. Hmm. And it's, to me, right now, it's all about getting the ball out as quickly as possible giving the quarterback as many options at the line of scrimmage to get the ball out quickly, especially for older quarterbacks and non-mobile quarterbacks, because it is the absolute antidote to the pass rush and to pass coverage. Because so many teams are playing single high safety right now. They're playing man coverage underneath with single high safety deep. And so I think the Giants can succeed for a lot of different reasons. I think number one is Eli is very good at run-pass option at the line of scrimmage. He hasn't been good at getting the ball out quickly. And I think if they work on that with him this year, and they work on that with Daniel Jones this year, and you have the play-action pass of Saquon Barkley, the Giants' offense can and will improve. Remember, they scored 369 points last year. Now, I know some of it was, I people always come back to me and say, hey, Sal, a lot of it was so-called, quote-unquote, garbage time. But nevertheless, those points were scored. And I think that the Giants, the magic number, if you go through it, guys, 
do a little bit of the math on your own. If you score 400 points in this league, mm-hmm. you usually are in the top 12 teams that make the playoffs. And that basically puts it around 24, 25 points a game, which is where they were even after Beckham's injury in the final four games last year. And what you were yeah. ta- what you were talking about, Sal, is a stat that a lot of people are throwing out, not just you, in terms of, you're right, last season, to define the Giants' campaign, they scored the most points of all NFC East teams, but... On the flip side, Sal, they also gave up the most points. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to the opposite side of the football right now, which I think it's fair to say may have more question marks to your point than what the offense presents. No Olivier Vernon, question about pass rush. What's your synopsis of the defense and the outlook for James Betcher in year number two? Right. So, you know, as you can tell by my last answer, I don't think, I think pass rush right now, honestly, and this will this will shock you. I'm going to say it anyway. I think pass rush in the NFL is overrated because offensive coordinators and quarterbacks have figured out what the Patriots have been doing, and that is get the ball out quickly. I mean, I don't care how good of a pass rusher you are. It's nearly impossible to get to the quarterback in under three seconds. Yeah. Unless you have a free rush. Okay? I would invite you to go back. And I, I, I am the host of the NFL Master Chef. So one of the things that we do is study a lot of film, a quarterback play in the league, because I, I happen to work with one of the best of the best, and that is Greg Cosell down at NFL Films. Yep. Nobody's better at breaking down quarterbacks than Greg Cosell. You all know his work. I've learned a lot from him and Ron Jaworski over the years. Uh, and also, Bill Polian was my partner on ESPN radio. And one of the things I get to do is do sideline radio a lot at Foxborough. And sometimes I would do the game a couple of times where the Chargers would come in. And the Chargers have these two great outside, as you know, mass call pass rushers that never touch Brady. <laughs> because it takes long to get to him. The ball is out. You've got to get the ball. You, get, you, you have to get up get up the middle of him almost with a free rush to get to him. That's why he has remained so healthy and so effective at such an, an advanced age of the league. That's something the analytics show as well. A lot of the people are saying that the better coverage impacts the game better than pass rush does. And look at the Giants draft. Uh, they drafted three cornerbacks. They bring in Jabril yes. Peppers. So you think if yep. those young corners play well enough, they can overcome maybe some of the deficiencies at the outside pass rusher position? Uh, absolutely. But I, I think right now the NFC East is super competitive. I think uh, Dak Prescott proved that he was going to be a better quarterback with Amari Cooper. Ezekiel Elliott is playing for his next deal, and I expect him to have a big year. Prescott's going to get paid. They got healthier on their offensive line. I think the big question mark in the division, the two biggest are the quarterback positions for the Eagles and the Giants. Eagles, because of the health of Carson Wentz, and Giants, when do they make the transition away from Eli to Daniel Jones? Well, I agree with you, Sal. I think also the Eagles' depth chart has immensely changed, too. You brought up Nick Foles when you talk about statistical breakdowns. I mean, that was a nice insurance policy to have, given the fact that Carson Wentz hasn't proven his durability. Yeah, a, a tad, a tad. I'm, go, I'm going out on a limb here, Sal. I, certainly. But, but you know what? 
interestingly, Sal, and you know the Eagles better than anybody, they've got a guy named Nate Sudfeld on their depth chart who was also a previous draft pick by the Redskins. I- I'm curious your perspective. How does that change the dynamics and the confidence of the Eagles, knowing that if Wentz goes down, who they could turn to this year? Listen, I, you know, I like to keep it real. You know, you know me, right? <laughs> of course. I like to keep it real here. Of course. Oh, okay. Listen, uh, St. Nick's not coming down the chimney to save Christmas, okay? So, <laughs> and Nate Sudfeld is no, is no Santa Claus, okay? Uh, so, of course, Carson Wentz, and, and I've said this here in Philly Radio, if Carson Wentz goes down, the deal season is essentially over, and the, and the, and the future is in doubt. I'm very anxious to see whether he can remain on the field for 16 games. I'm actually going to walk the cap back just a little bit, guys. I'm anxious to see if he makes it through training camp. Mm, wow. I mean, it's a long, hot summer here in South Philadelphia <laughs> as the confluence of I-95 and the Schuylkill Expressway here in the concrete jungle of South Philadelphia. It's a long, hot summer. Let's see how he makes it through a whole training camp, what he has yet to do. Let's stick in the NFC East, Sal. That's your one big question about Philly. What's your big question for the Cowboys? Their defense. I mean, they, they came off their last game where uh, a backup running back basically ran up and down the field on them, and that was embarrassing for them. You know, you know, everybody wants to play the place to blame on Dak Prescott, or, or, or for that matter, Eli Manning. But, uh, you know, the, the defense of both teams let, let their teams down. Dallas in the postseason and the Giants' defense during the regular season. So I, I think that's the major question mark going into the season for the for the Cowboys. The Cowboys are going to score some points now, um, and and it's going to be super competitive within that division. I think. Well, and one of the reasons why Sal, I think you could support your claim about it's going to be very competitive. There has not been a back-to-back division champ, and I always love throwing out this statistic, Sal, since the Eagles won four in a row in the early 2000s. And the reason I bring that up, well, Dallas is trying to complete the impossible, essentially. From somebody who's covered the NFC East for quite some time, what do you attribute to why it's been so difficult for one particular team to duplicate winning the division over again? I would say multiple factors, but the number one thing would have to be the erratic play of the quarterbacks. Mm. Uh, and injury at the quarterback position, and you know, you know, look, if you look at just the Eagles, the Eagles have had uh, uh, a number of quarterbacks come through here uh, until Wentz showed up, and then Wentz got hurt. So um, that's that's a really good uh, indicator. Uh, you know, I think that that to me is the is the number one thing. You know, Sal, just overall in the conference, I'm going to list you some teams here that I don't think any of us would be surprised if they made the playoffs. Cowboys, Eagles, Bears, Vikings, Packers, Saints, Falcons, Panthers, Rams, Seahawks. I just listed 10 teams that none of us would be surprised if they made the playoffs in the NFC. There are six spots. This is going to be one hell of a competitive conference for the two wildcard spots. It really is, uh, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's three in the NFC South. You could definitely ask, ask, add the 49ers, sure. I think. Yeah. If Garoppolo gets back on track, I think the 49ers are going to be able to get after the get after the quarterback. Um, the Seahawks, I have questions about the Seahawks. I think their roster is a little thin. Um, if Wilson stays healthy, which is amazing to me because he was sacked 51 times last year, <laughs> the most uh, in his career. Um, here's a team where I think could take a step back, and, and this may shock some people. I think the Rams could. 
I think teams' uh, defensive coordinators have figured yeah. out the Rams' offense a little bit. That's fair. I think the Rams are a team you know, uh, that are built from the inside out defensively, and um, uh, you, you, can, you can do some things against that team. Uh, clearly, without Gurley and without Cup, Goff is a different quarterback. Again, study the film on them. The one thing that they do over and over again offensively is play-action pass. And if you don't have the threat of Gurley running the football, Goff becomes very ordinary. Sal, you brought up the fact that the Rams could take a step back. Well, let's go on the opposite end of the spectrum. When you look at the NFC landscape, which team do you think maybe is falling under the radar right now that could actually make some huge strides? Yeah, you know, I don't really... I think you named them all. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how Kingsbury's offense works where you don't block anybody and you throw everybody into the pass route uh, and uh, you have to account for the quarterback as a runner and how long Kyler Murray lasts in that system. Now, I, I, I happen to think he's going to be an electric player. Um, I, I really do. And, but I, I, I think a, if you would ask me to one team to keep an eye on that could make some noise, it would be the Cardinals because of he's a different talent. He's a different level talent. Let's talk about the rule changes a little bit, Sal. And I think the one that everyone cares about the most is the pass interference call. I've poked around a little bit, talked to some folks, and the impression that I get is that they're going to basically direct the officials to only change these pass interference calls if it's fairly obvious and egregious. Do you think they're going to stick to that? Or are we going to fall into what we've fallen into with the rest of replay here where you're micromanaging every little touch and contact and stuff when they look at these replay reviews on the pass interference penalties? Um, I think they are going to stick to that. I think that uh, Roger Goodell basically put Al Riveron, the head of officiating, on the clock on this Mm. because of what happened uh, with the catch-no-catch rule a couple of years ago where I think uh, there was an overcorrection that happened in the New York offices, and as a result, the game is being officiated from New York. And I don't think that that's going to happen in this particular case. I like the new rule, and uh, I am glad that the coaches won in the end so that it's a, it's a reviewable call in the final two minutes out of their hands so that they don't have to hold on to that challenge flag and have to make that decision in the last two minutes. I think that was... Uh, really smart that the coaches put up a fuss about it because I was at the league meeting um, when that was, when they tried to walk the cat back and Rich McKay and Troy Vincent and they said no we want the coaches to be able to do it not the officials and the coaches said uh, no uno momento four for four hold on a second uh, we don't want to do that and I'm glad the coaches won. Yeah, I'm with you too. I mean, I think that that to me is the structure that makes the most sense. But just piggybacking off of John's point related to this new expansion of instant replay and especially now incorporating judgment calls out from a big picture perspective, how concerning though is it if we are starting to see the league go into the direction of slowing down play-by-play to a point where it doesn't resemble the full speed of football? I mean, from a big-picture perspective, how concerning is that direction? 
I'm not that concerned about it. I, I'm not. I, I think it's going to be okay. I think in the end it's going to work. Sal, as long as they get the calls right, I think we'll deal with games that are five or ten minutes longer, and hopefully it won't be that bad. There's only be one challenge per game. We know the deal with that. But as long as you get the calls right and you don't yeah, have I, what happened think, last year I, matters. I think, the, I think the fans the fans want to get the calls right. After what happened in New Orleans, you had, a, in my view, an illegitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, look, I, I agree 100%. Last one for me. We're getting some news and, and word out right now about the owners trying to, you know, push the 18-game schedule again. You know, the one proposal had the 18 games with each player only being able to play 16. I'm sure you heard Lance and I kind of discussing it before we had you on. Uh, I just think it's a really tough mechanically-wise to, to get something like that workable, and I think there are unintended consequences that might happen. Is that, you think, a realistic proposition right now, or is this just part of the negotiation process? Yeah, I, I was listening to you guys before I came on, and I agree with you that it's a starting point in the conversation, not an ending point. And I would just raise this one issue, and that is this. If I'm a season ticket holder mm. to the New York Giants, or the, let's say the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm told that two of my games I'm not going to see Carson Wentz, That's well, a then I don't want to pay full price. Of course. I mean, that would... if I'm sitting at home, if I'm sitting at home, and I'm paying two hundred dollars a month for a Comcast cable, uh, I want to see Carson Wentz for all eighteen games, or, or I want a discount. Yeah. I, I, I want a rebate from the Eagles or from the NFL because I'm not getting uh, the number one player in those games. So I think while it's a good starting point for the conversation, uh, I don't see how you. How do you how do you say to the fans, uh, Carson? It's like going to a Broadway show and and, and Bette Midler's you know has got an understudy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very. It's a fair ve- parallel. Very good Seinfeld reference there, Sal. I picked up on it. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah. thought I was. I, I got was you. Waiting for that. Thank you very I much. I got you. No problem. <laughs> well, and it reminds me what you're talking about, Sal. A lot of the conversations that are going on in the NBA with the load management debate and whether or not you rest star players yeah. when they're visiting sites where fans go out of their way to buy those tickets. Yeah, exactly. So let's say let's say the Eagles are visiting the Cowboys, right? And uh and the Eagles have have the uh division wrapped up. And and Doug Peterson says we're not playing Carson Wentz this week. He's this is one of the weeks off. Boy, oh boy. How do you think that'll go over in the Metroplex? <laughs> <laughs> Not very smoothly. Last one for me, Sal, <laughs> in terms of the CBA talks. The fact that these conversations are happening now, well in advance of the expiration of the CBA, whether or not it's realistic that we go to 18 games and the 16-game cap, compared to how things played out going back to 2011, how encouraging is it that both sides are coming together this early and at least entertaining some of these ideas that may separate themselves at this point in the negotiation? I think the, I, I think it's a very, very encouraging. Here's the bottom line. I think NFL players and Major League Baseball players are looking at the windfall of guaranteed money that NBA players are getting in free agency. One, and the control that NBA players have over where they go and how much they get paid and who they get to get, get to play with. And I think that is going to be the number one thing 
that players are going to tell their union reps in their locker rooms that this is what we want to get hmm. towards. We want to get to the point where we have control and we have guaranteed money. So I'm going to ask you a quick follow-up on this, Al, because really quickly, I think the argument that I always give to people that say NFL contracts should be guaranteed, my retort then is, well, then just be ready to accept the fact that the contracts are going to be a lot shorter. You know, you're not going to give out a five-year guaranteed, fully guaranteed contract. You're going to give out a three-year fully guaranteed contract. But you think so players get more control over where they're going, they'd be okay if they're signing shorter deals if the deals are more fully guaranteed in terms of the money. Right, so the devil is in the details. There's right. no question about it, and your question is the legitimate one. No, no, no doubt about that. But the bottom line is I think players in Major League Baseball and in professional football have seen what has happened in the NBA, and they want to get closer to the NBA model. Well, as long as that doesn't mean the Giants end up winning as many games as the Knicks, I think I'll be okay with that. Sal, we really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your time off, and then we hit the grind in about a week, my friend. Thanks a lot, Sal. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you up at Quest Diagnostics uh, pretty soon, probably the first day it opens for sure. Can't Very wait nice. to see you, Sal. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And Call me anytime. Absolutely. Make sure you check out Sal Palantonio, host of the Edge NFL Matchup Show. They do a great job on ESPN. It's my favorite show you guys have on your whole network, Sal. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, and don't forget, even if there's some Eagles fans up there in North Jersey, Philly special, the inside story of how the Philadelphia Eagles won their first Super Bowl title. There's a lot of stuff in there about Eli and the Giants. You'll like it. I appreciate that, Sal. Thank very you very nice. much again. Thanks, Sal. See you guys. That was Sal Palantonio from ESPN. We thank him for joining us on this episode of the Giants Huddle Podcast. And once again, I want to remind you that if you're listening to this on Giants.com or the Giants mobile app, we appreciate it. But go to your favorite podcast platform, subscribe, add us to your favorites, tune in all the popular platforms. Please check us out, add us to your feed, or if you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, leave a positive review or a high rating, and it will help us out an awful lot. For Lance Meadow and Sal Palantonio, I am John Schmelk. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle. Adios.